0: Some derp's talk about games. I'm your co host, Mango. And I am your co host, Buddy. And today, uh, the first show of the new year, we're going to do the Derpies for 2023. Before we do the Buddy, why don't you tell the folks what it is we do on this podcast? You know, listen, on this podcast,
1: listen, we talk about a lot of stuff, okay? We talk about Marvel movies, okay? We talk about the Fast and the Furious movies, we talk about, you know,. I don't know. Sometimes video games, I guess. You know, when we're feeling like it. Uh, but this is this is the time of year when everybody else has already done their year end wrap up, and they're cowards. Okay, they don't wait until the year actually ends. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go over 2013 or 20, 2013. Yeah. Jesus, 2024. Listen, my favorite movie of 2013 was Man of Steel. What's
0: yours, <laughs> Mango? <laughs> uh, I don't even remember what happened in 2013. It's all blur. Um, but uh something else we do uh that is different than the other ones is we put our game game games of the year games of the year for the past handful of years uh at the top of the show uh we do this in three categories games as art games as sport and games as games um and so uh we're going to lead off with those and then after that the format is is one of us we will alternate we will throw an award name their uh their choice for that award and then the other person during that time will think of their answer to that award and talk about that. So uh we're starting out with Games as Art. Um My Games as Art for the Year is actually one that I played between the beginning of the new year and today, but came out in 2023, and that is Chance of Sonar, uh, which um I had a super fun time with. Uh it's a game, it's it's a light game where you kind of walk around and explore, very pretty. Um, but the primary puzzle is is you are effectively doing translation. You try and figure out what these different symbols mean. You do it by talking to people and figuring it out in context or like by labels applied to things. Um, and it's just a really cool way to, to do things. Um, most of it's like it, it, for like big language nerds, it's not particularly complex. It's kind of like symbols uh, correspond to different words. Um, uh, a couple of them have kind of neat ways to, like, indicate plurals or, like, there's one, there's, like, f- five languages. Um, and one of them kind of speaks like Yoda does. It kind of inverts the sentence structure. And so, like, keeping that in mind is always fun to, when you when you kind of, when that kind of clicks. Um, but it's a very, very pretty game. Uh, a lot of cool mechanics. Um, not too long. I think it beat it in seven hours. But, like, um, uh, i just really enjoyed it and uh and uh it uh uh, what's it uh it it covered it it was a cool way to do a very cool concept i thought the kind of deeper or the kind of underlying themes in story was kind of shallow it's a pretty clear towel of babel uh analog it literally takes place in a tower um and there's kind of like themes of like division and reunification um but uh, gameplay-wise, I, I thought it was excellent, and art-wise, I thought it was excellent, so that is my games as art of the year. Buddy, what is your games as art of the year?
1: I have a really... This is probably going to be controversial. Actually, this probably won't be controversial. It is very much in keeping with kind of like me and my tastes. Um, my, game, my game as art for this year is Diablo 4. Ooh. I think Diablo 4 had the best so even really about storytelling experience right when it came to a story with with interesting characters complex themes right um and an engaging narrative that I got really wrapped up in Diablo 4 is actually the one that captured me the most um and it mostly kind of comes down to that to these sort of themes. There are some, There were some games that I played this year that had really great characters. Uh, something like Salty Chronicles would be a good example. It's an indie game out of a Danish studio um, who I guess, you know, Cards on the Table I'm friends with. Uh, we worked together on Mutazione a couple of years ago. Their second game came out. It's uh, Salty Chronicles. Very good. Um, you know there are other games that had really engaging sort of plot structure and story, right? Baldur's Gate would be an amazing example of this. But the only game um, that really kind of hooked me on a thematic level, right? Um, you know that was that was talking kind of about interesting um, and kind of these these interesting and complex themes about uh, honestly stuff like kind of stuff as wild as like kind of like godhood and divinity, and also as, like, on the ground of, like, severed friendships, right? Like, I don't know. That stuff just, like, really got me. The thing... Honestly, here's, here's the, the really thing that, that is fueling almost all of this. I have been thinking about Anarius in Diablo 4 for, like, months, quietly in the back of my head. His unending quest to regain access to the high heavens... After he was cast out, right? And judged for his indiscretion by essentially fucking Lilith, right? And this dedication, he creates this whole zealous movement of creators. He creates an entire church dedicated to him so that he can build an army of mortals who will invade hell and kill Mephisto, right? Like, kind of the agent of his downfall, right? And he thinks this is the thing that is going to, like, bring him... This is the thing that is going to, like, bring him absolution. And then he meets Lilith... The you know the woman essentially who he loved but also who corrupted him right and she kills him but not only does she kill him she points out that it wouldn't have mattered even if he succeeded that he it did in a way succeed he did the thing that he always thought was going to happen but it doesn't matter the the high heavens are never going to open for him up for, open up for him again right and it reminds me I'm getting like goosebumps describing this it reminds me of the why have you forsaken me right the the lines from Jesus on the cross about his own father right why like why have you forsaken me? It's I, are they his last lines maybe is maybe they're not his last lines or whatever It's just like it has just been in my bre- my head rent free and it reminds it's like the two guys from Chernobyl it's like doomed boat stuff right It is just so lodged in my brain that I don't know that I'm ever going to I don't know that I'm ever gonna come to the the other side of this without um I don't know. It was good. It was great. Uh, so there.
0: Yeah, uh, that is uh, that's that's very fair. Uh, you know, different than our normal stuff, but that's that that is totally fine. Uh, you know. Uh, well, uh, traditionally, you will start the next category, which is games as sport of the year. What is what is your games as sport?
1: Oh, interesting. Okay, my game as sport of the year. Um, I have a really. Uh, I, I'm sure people will expect this. My games of sport for this year was Darktide. Um, Darktide captured my brain in a team sports way that it has not been captured in a long time. Honestly, since maybe like the inception of kind of like me getting really hard into Mythic Plus in Shadowlands, um, the class update that they did, however many. Months ago, right? Um, that just kind of revitalized everybody getting back into the game. I want to say this was like September, October kind of thing. Um, it led to me putting just an ungodly number of hours into Dark Tide. Um, it is now probably one of my top games on Steam. I have 180 hours. I leveled all of the classes to max. I was completing the you know the the contracts on multiple different characters a week just because I couldn't stop myself um, from getting so deep into the talent trees and into the the sort of progressions um through the, the the different levels they released the new level which just had this like banger track and i was just ah it it is hard ...to describe how how deep into all of that I ended up, uh, I ended up kind of getting. Um, and even though there are other big contenders for me, you know, WoW is always living pretty rent-free in my brain. Um, but I was pretty off WoW when it came to 2023. The big patch was 10.1. I didn't play for most of 10.1. You know, I barely kind of got over the line with Keystone Hero um, and stuff like that at the end of that season. Season 3 has been much better. We're going to talk about, I'm sure, you know, the, in 2024, how much Mythic Plus I've been doing... Um, um and stuff like that but uh and then other you know there there might be some other kinds of contenders in here um even some single player stuff that I would maybe make an argument for as a game as sport um that would be pretty interesting but uh yeah it's just it's dark tide that's the that's the only answer it possibly could have been because nothing else kind of captured my um I don't know, nothing else kind of captured my teamwork imagination in quite the way that Dark Tide did uh, in the back half of 2023.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's very fair. Um, kind of in that vein, right? Like, my nomination, I, I would say, like, there was a strong contender late-breaking with the finals, but ultimately did not go to that because um, any of you who have been paying attention will probably know that for me, it's Street Fighter VI. Um, the game <laughs> I... The, the only game I think... The only game I have played... Uh, more than Baldur's Gate this year, except maybe WoW, but WoW is its own creature, right? It's kind of like a different thing. But like Street Fighter Six, I have played so much since it came out in June, and I keep playing. And it just feels so good to keep playing until like like earlier today, I got a really close win. It felt awesome, right? Like, you know, just perfect read, managed to get the, managed to get the kill. And it's also a thing where um, you know, I'm not the best player in the world, but I'm like mid-plat. I started not there. I started, um, I like I climbed to like high silver pretty quickly, but I over the course of the year have climbed through gold and up through uh, plat to mid-plat now. And I can feel, I can like track my progress and see myself like learning things as I go along. And that's really satisfying. And it's something that only comes, I think, with a 1v1 game, right? One of the problems that we but we've always talked about with like say League of Legends or the other MOBAs is like you can see your own progress but some of that gets muddled by like you know oh am i being carried by my teammates you know um uh how much of this is actually my performance right fighting games it's all you all the time there's like stuff that you can a little bit of stuff that you can put on your character but like you are responsible 100% for your decisions and uh, that's basically it, and uh, it's and you can see yourself grow, and uh, uh, that's why I like fighting games in general. And Street Fighter 6 is just um, uh, kind of in the meta aspects; it does its game queuing really well. You can get into practice really fa- fast if you want that, and matchmaking is buttery smooth. It's easy. My game last year I think was Guilty Gear Strive. Um, uh, if not, it was maybe I, I forget which year is which, but you know, Strive. Is a good game but in terms of like actually getting into matches it's like long load times takes a while to get into a match and it's not nearly as quick or as fast as street fighter um and then also just on top of that the systems are good right like the uh parry as like a, a cool defensive option it doesn't necessarily always lead to you blowing blowing your opponent out um the drive gauge being a thing you start at full and lets you do special moves and and different uh, movement tech um, just right off the bat is crazy fun doesn't take away from your super bar is a totally separate resource um, it's probably the most uh, uh, most aggressive Street Fighter game I think in a while right um, and uh, yeah it's, uh, it's super it's been super fun to play I've got over 100 hours in it um, I'll probably put another 100 in it uh, next year uh, but yeah the Street Fighter uh, 6 for me um,
1: okay interesting
0: yeah yeah. and so our next category is games as game of the year just game of the year top line right? Uh, game, games as game uh, so uh, mine is going to be uh, Baldur's Gate 3 probably to sur- uh, the surprise of not a lot of people uh, combines very compelling gameplay with a cool story but I think the thing that really gets me about it um, and I know that, that buddy you have said that you, you don't like it quite as much as some of the Owlcat games but I don't think any other game I have played or I have seen quite captures the um, the way that uh, Baldur's Gate 3 captures playing an actual tabletop RPG. I'm going to actually, I might even, if you forced me to, I would say that this award specifically goes to Act 1 of Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really shines through, right? it was been in early access for a while and they had time to tune it and really put in all those things. And I think that kind of starts to fall away towards the end of the game. Not that it's bad, it just doesn't have quite as like as much there um which is Mm -hmm. to be understood it's a massive game but uh it's just excellent it's well polished it's got um it does the things that you would expect to not be able to do because it's a video game it lets you do those things um and it it builds a lot of explicit kind of uh alternate routes um it has really well Written characters that's, that are fun to, to get to know and to play with. Um, some really interesting stories. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, a ton of, uh, ton of waifu bait. What else can you ask for in a game? Buddy. You know,
1: listen, yeah. I, I, I feel like I'm copying you. My game of the year for game of the year is just Baldur's Gate 3. I, was, I really went up in the air about this. Um, and I ultimately just want to say quickly... There is a disqualification that I feel like I can't make my game of the year for game of the year, which would otherwise be games that I have worked on. Right, I would fill this list with Australia, Rainworld, right, like the games that I have worked on. Um, but I decided that was kind of like unfair, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna worry too much about that, even though uh, obviously I care a lot about it. Um, and that when I when I look at you know kind of the way that I that I played, um, what I ended up thinking about, what I I ended up talking about, Baldur's Gate three shines through, and it shines through for a very specific reason, but. but it, I do want to say, all the other stuff that I have said about Baldur's Gate 3 on the podcast, I do think the Owlcat better games are better games as CRPGs. Um, I am disappointed that Baldur's Gate only goes to level 12. Um, I didn't connect with some of the story elements in quite the same way that other people did. I particularly wish that there were better romance options for me, (laughs) right? like Stuff like that. Um, But at the end of the day, I can't... I can't really put aside this, like, c- crucial piece of evidence that suggests Game of the Year so strongly that I just kind of have to reluctantly give way, right? Which is that for when Baldur's Gate 3 came out, I sat down with my partner and we played it, right? We played it relentlessly for weeks at a time until we beat it. And we exhausted Every possible corner, we found dozens of wonky loopholes and made interesting and complex decisions along the way. And it was that piece of the puzzle that makes it Game of the Year territory for me. Um, I would have loved if Pathfinder Kingmaker had multiplayer support, and I could have done this exact same thing, but in Kingmaker or Wrath of the Righteous or you know, I mean, I guess you know, Rogue Trader just came out, obviously, um, and Rogue Trader does have multiplayer support. Um, but at the end of the day, the thing that that did combine the uh the sort of effortless imagination and discovery of Baldur's Gate w- alongside the um uh the kind of social you know like like being able to work with a with a team and have a have a sort of narrative whole there are so many great moments from my playthrough of Baldur's Gate 3 that felt truly epic and unique in a way that I don't think anybody else you know most of my other like some of my other friends never even got to experience right um, and I just can't. In the face of all of that, even though Baldur's Gate kind of left a, like a sour taste in my mouth, I can't deny that that's Game of the Year, one hundred, you know, one hundred percent of the way, right? Um, so a weirdly reluctant Game of the Year for for 2023.
0: Uh, yeah, no, that uh, that that makes uh, that makes sense, uh, you know, uh, us and everybody else. But you know, the game's good enough that it deserves it. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, it is. I honestly wish we had a better, more complicated answer, but there really is just like nothing more straightforward than. it was it was the game of it was the game of the year in 2023 i also do want to say for the record part of this is also just kind of like cultural i really appreciate the footprint that Baldur's Gate 3 had you know as a kind of return to form for this sort of genre of games it it does feel like a breakthrough moment for something that i personally have cared a lot about right dungeons and dragons i've cared a lot about dungeons and dragons for 20 years right I was introducing my friends to Dungeons and Dragons in high school because they thought it was incredibly lame and nerdy, and I thought it was fucking cool in 2000, you know, whatever. 2003. Um, I guess that was before high school. Whatever. That was when that was when 35 came out, and we were talking about like doing, you know, doing stuff with sort of 35. Um, and so um, that that is a big, you know, kind of W in this in this direction.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, so. Now we get to the self-dominated categories. If any of you in the chat would like to suggest a category, we will take them under advisement. But since I let off the last category, buddy, I will hand the first uh, category to you. What is your category and what is your nomination?
1: Okay, my category or my category for this one. Um, I, I want to build a little I want to build a little suspense. My category for this one is going to be best hidden gem of 2023, okay? Um which is to say, it could be anything, you know, game, television show, YouTube video content. Who cares, right? Just anything along the, these sorts of lines. Um, what do you think? What, what do you think was best in twenty twenty three? My nomination for this category is Air by uh, the Ben Affleck directed movie about. Eric Jordan, I have mentioned this on the podcast, um, and the reaction that you gave at the time made this feel like a hidden gem, and I just feel like I'm seeing this everywhere with with people, right? This is a movie that I think um, – I, I ultimately had said it was, it, it was a, breath, a breath of fresh air, right? we're outside of franchise schlock we're outside of this franchise you know storytelling we're not dealing with um it's not even really oscar bait which is something that also felt good right you know this isn't something that's weighty and portentous it doesn't have you know deep complex themes about philosophy it's not a, it's not a particularly heavy movie for instance um it's just a movie about interesting people doing interesting things. There's no big grand villain. There's a guy with a vision and he can see through to the other side and realizes, "Okay, you know what? This this is the thing. I'm going to I'm going to push for this." And it, and it works out for him, right? I haven't seen a movie like this. It feels like in a long time. It feels like it has been Years, I think the last one I would maybe highlight would be in 2015, The Martian by Ridley Scott is pretty similar in, in another kind of just competent people facing an issue um, and overcoming it, you know, d- d- even on the regardless of the problems kind of like along the way. That's a very scientific movie. This is a very corporate movie, right? This is about, uh, you know, we're trying to break into a market that nobody else is breaking into and there's like just i don't know there's some of these moments in the movie that i think are um just i just think it's great i think there's so much that's great here um and uh you know it's not it's not barbenheimer uh it's not getting the big the big think pieces nobody nobody is talking about it nobody is uh um you know i don't know pushing for it to be an oscars play i don't think it was an oscars play i think frankly i know this because of behind the scenes stuff obviously uh but you know i think ben affleck is a guy with a lot of money and he can kind of do what he wants he sort of gets to write his own paycheck and he decided to create a production company with by giving out equity to a ton of people in that company and points on the movie that they were all making because he just thinks that the creators of a film should share in the fruits of that film. And they sold it to Amazon, made a bunch of money, and he was able to kind of uplift everybody like that. that all of that stuff together is great. I love every second of it, and I just want to, I don't know, I want to give it the, the shout-out it deserves, I guess.
0: No, that's, that's very fair. Um, this is actually a good opportunity. I was going to give this a different category, uh, but this is a much better category for it. Um, the name. This is a thing that is arguably a game, um, it is on Steam. It is called South Scrimshaw. It is, uh, I think it's South Scrimshaw Part 1. It is free, so you can go play it now. It's a visual novel that takes about an hour to get through. Um, what it is is, is a, uh, it's, it's essentially a science fiction visual novel, but the idea is, is it is a documentary by a documentary crew on a, uh, uh, a, a, uh, a col- like, a space colony. It's, like, on an Earth-like planet, and um, it follows the journey of um, of these creatures called, oh, sorry, I was leaning over to see the name of it. They're called Brillo whales. And they're basically whales that grow a layer of fat around them and then like implant other organisms in themselves, right? So the the if this follows this new calf and uh, he's the calf of this mother whale that has a bunch of plants planted in her and like... There are little snails that live on it too, but they're all the Brillo whales are a little bit different, and it just—it's just like very cool world building. Um, goes into a little bit about the the colonists, right? Like um, a little bit about their their myths about why they are the way they are, why like they eat a bunch of pickled food. Um, it's because early on, like there's they had technological problems early on, and so refrigeration wasn't um, super. Uh, wasn't super reliable and so they relied a lot of fermentation and pickling right and that's like you know it's like some visual novels have a little bit of decision making this is just text rolls and occasionally you can click on a white piece of text which will give you a footnote essentially about the other stuff in this universe um and i found it super compelling it's super pretty um i thought the world building was excellent this is and it leaves leaves, leaves on a cliff uh, cliffhanger uh, it says it's parts uh One through four. Um, And uh, I just, you know, really enjoyed hanging out with this for an hour. Uh, You know, I don't want to quite call it a game because it's it's not even like like how some visual messages uh, are, uh, uh, you know, some visual novels are a game, but, uh, you know, or or like have some gamified elements. But it's super good and for, you know, free and an hour of your time, I think it's definitely worth uh, looking into. Um, Excuse me for a second while I ban a spammer from the chat um yeah uh uh yeah so uh that's uh that's my that is my best hidden gem of the year it's it uh, i think the the guy nathan o. marsh mentioned that he got more response than expected but it's got like you know a thousand reviews or just under a thousand reviews. not a huge thing by any metric and so i would encourage you all to go check it out um and if you like it a lot buy the art book that way, maybe he makes another one, because I want to find out what happens to the Brillo Well uh, uh, calf. Um, Yeah. Um, So with that, we will roll into my first nominated uh, uh, topic, and uh, I'm not beholden to the same rules as you, buddy. Um, uh, So I'm going to say my category is the game I keep going back to, and that game has been for (laughs) me this year, Astrea. (laughs) Yeah. Uh just like when I need to when I wanna like do something and like you know let's do a podcast and just kinda pass some time or I wanna uh you know just feel like doing something a little bit lighter and I don't feel like getting super sweaty about Street Fighter. Love to just throw up an Estrella run, uh work on leveling up somebody that I that I don't have to, to full yet. Right now I'm doing uh Hevelius, the Rhino dude. Um
1: Um, yeah. excuse me, he's a crocodile, okay mango <laughs> <What is he? laughs>
0: Is he? I thought, he, or I guess... I they do have
1: can. horns. He's sort of a triceratops. Triceratops, in a, in a triceratops horns makes certain more way. sense. Yeah, yeah. I hope everybody on the chat is really, or on the, <laughs> on the stream is enjoying Orion. Uh, hello. Yeah. Can you look at the camera? He can't. <laughs> we'll see.
0: <laughs> hey, Orion. What do you think of um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um Just, you know, I love roguelites, uh, and Australia is a great roguelite, and it's got some great uh, innovative spin on the genre with the dice. Um, build some really cool combos off of it. Uh, I find the art style very charming and uh, interesting. And, uh, you know, uh, not going to say that, like, it's got the deepest story or themes, uh, but that's not why I go to the Game of Game for, like, good, solid gameplay, and it hasn't disappointed me. So uh, Astraea is my uh, game I kept going back to this year and probably will still over the next year as well. It's kind of going to occupy that up. I don't know if you remember, but for like a number of years, every once in a while, I was just like, "Go back and play some Enter the Gungeon," um, and that's mm-hmm. basically what Australia has come, has become for me. It's like you know, uh, I got, I just got I'm gonna keep playing it, gonna keep leveling up characters. Yeah, that's
1: interesting. What is a good game that I have I have come back to a bunch this year? Um, it's interesting about you know maybe maybe saying come back to a bunch is uh, is sort of the wrong. Um, I don't know. Is maybe sort of the the wrong approach to how I come at um, how I come at some of these titles. Um, I think I'm going to go. This is a good space for for World of Warcraft to live in. 2023 for World of Warcraft was was a quiet year for me, right? Um, but I, you know, I just can't help but be in this position where it is a fixture of my social life, of my gaming life, of my, uh, you know, it's just it, it is the thing. That is um it's always there when you need it it's like it's like you're it's like a a friend from like school from like middle school that you're still friends with, and you don't probably you you sometimes don't hang out with them they're maybe not your fixation sometimes you're you're looking at other stuff right I'm playing dark Tide. I'm playing uh satisfactory I'm playing you know um just whatever, whatever else is sort of like on the top of my brain. Stellaris, Total War, Warhammer 3, all of these sor- sorts of titles, right? Um, but there is something about World of Warcraft that makes it easy to return to, kind of again and again. Um, and this year, even though it was a little bit of an off year for me, I do think it was an on year for World of Warcraft as a whole, right? Um, The delivery of Dragonflight um, in seasons, you know, two and three have both been, I think, real highlights for the game. Um, And I feel like the fundamental updates to things that have happened over the course of kind of the end of Shadowlands, beginning of Dragonflight, have kind of radically redefined the game in a positive direction um, when it comes to how people are interacting uh, chiefly kind of with like alts. And uh, you know, like alternate play content, that kind of stuff. Um that all feels good. That all feels pretty pretty great, to be honest with you. Um and so it's pretty easy for me to say that that uh that World of Warcraft is my um I don't know, it's my game that I keep coming back to this year. So
0: Yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. It's a strong contender. Um All right, what's your uh Next uh, Okay, category.
1: my next category this is a category I always give us, um uh because I always think it's interesting to look at a little what you know, people call it alternative media. Uh maybe maybe what we can call that alternative media sort of like pejoratively. Um to look at a little alternative media. Um, this is Info my Wars? content creator of... Yeah, oh, my <laughs> God. Yeah, this is my content creator of the year. This one I have talked a little bit about, but uh, I just really want to give him the, the kind of shout-out that he deserves. Um, this is Sean Munger, who is a historian and, like, a teacher um, who has a YouTube channel that I kind of ended up sort of, like, stumbling across. He is a video essayist who has a couple of overlaps with things that I have kind of come to care about a lot in, you know, um, in 2023. A few of them are sort of disentangling some of the the, the complicated pieces of history that are sometimes glazed over, right? Um, one of his big videos that came out this year is the Iran-Contra scandal um, explained. So basically he broke down in really excruciating detail how the Iran-Contra scandal ended up happening right this is not like the glossed over 10 minute version that somebody learned about in history class this is the documentary you know feature film documentary length um kind of version that comes out of the the sort of meticulous research um and the real sorts of nitty-gritty of how people interact with other people that i think explains history and decision-making and and this stuff in a particularly good way. And that is a, you know, that's something that he carried for the, you know, further into the future with a series of other video essays uh kind of most notably right one that explained the persian gulf war in the early 90s right i think that most folks have a kind of cursory understanding of this um have a kind of cursory understanding of this war and what happened during it um and he really breaks down not the the kind of you know pin like arrows on maps version of the war, but sort of the political versions of the war, right? Who are the principal actors? How did they react to the political landscape at this time? Um, And then another one that he did that I actually listened to uh, while I was driving home for my birthday, came out just a month ago, is Watergate, A Geographic History. I think most folks actually don't have, myself included, I didn't have a very good understanding of the true extent of the Watergate scandal, right? I didn't really understand... Outside of just the president was directing people to commit a crime, right? Um, I didn't really understand the mechanics of the actual history at play with Watergate. Um, it's the the video I see is called Watergate: A Geographic History because he actually takes you to the the key locations, and because the story is centered around the locations that these things ha- things happened, including some locations that are, um, you know, like. Sort of, like, unrelated, but also sort of related, you know, to to kind of the scandal at play and the histories of these locations, including the Watergate, you know, uh, the Watergate Hotel itself. Um, all of that stuff kind of combines together to just make a really interesting kind of compelling uh, way, I think, to to digest history. Um, and so, yeah, there you go. Sean Munger. Congratulations, buddy.
0: Yeah. No, that's, uh... That's, uh... That's uh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. Um, so I, I'm sorry. I was looking through my, uh, through one of my podcasts to see if I wanted to pick somebody from there, but I don't think I will. Um, uh, I've got a couple of like honorable mentions here, right? Like, there's the one I was looking just looking at is world world's greatest con, which over the new like, uh, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, uh, dropped uh, a long thing about like Epcot, uh, which I thought was very good. Um, just kind of like the the brilliance that Disney, like, maneuvered through to actually get Epcot built. Um, There's um, a YouTube channel I follow called Woodcraft by Sumon, which is this tiny little channel that just, instead of, like, doing, like, typical kind of, like, woodworker YouTuber things, like tool reviews or just, like, building projects, he's like, here are some woodworking, like, you know, truisms that we all believe. Let's, like, you know, test them with, uh, you know, with empirical data, which I think is fun. But... The one I really want to give a shout-out to is uh, Summoning Salt. Um, And that's because uh, he has always been good. He gives these these long documentaries on speedrunning history um, for particular games. I'm going to give it to him because three weeks ago, he put out the history of Mike Tyson's Punch-Out! World Records. Now, we have talked before about um, these long uh, kind of like documentary-style things where there's a twist in the middle, and that's always kind of a great hook. I thought Summoning Salt's hook for this one... The, mid, the, mid, the midway twist was great because the midway twist is – and then there was somebody else coming up the leaderboards.
1: It was me! And it's just him going, <laughs> uh, going through
0: everything he needed to do to beat this – like to, to grab the world record for um, the Mike Tyson's punch out. Uh, I think it's the full run, right? Like front front to back. Um, and everything that needed to happen to go there and the history – like. Same thing with the history of all the tech, but just, like, at the end, of it's like, yeah, and I was doing it, and uh, this is what I went through when I did it. And there's, like, a little bit more of, like, like he's done interviews with, um, with like, the, the runners in the past, um, but it's just something interesting to see him, like, applying the formula to himself and seeing him talk about his experience with it that I thought was uh, super, uh, super engaging and super awesome. And, you know, I don't, personally, speed is not a thing that I am interested in right like it just seems like too much too much failure based on randomness for me in most cases um but i love watching his videos because it's like oh it's fun to see why people how people people figure things out what they do and you skip all of like you know the thousands of hours of like unproductive runs because uh he just shows you the highlights so uh i want to give that shout out there to uh to summoning salt that's going to be okay
1: yeah fair enough
0: my, uh,
1: yeah my that's game funny games. I uh, I you know I watched so many self videos this year but I haven't actually spent th- any time sort of thinking about uh any time sort of like thinking about them but yeah that is a good uh recommendation especially he had another one this year that I thought was very good um uh the quest to beat Abney 317 which talks about how one guy was essentially trying to corner all of the um records in uh Mario Kart 64. Uh, and just like the ways in which that story play out are really you know interesting and and complicated so
0: yeah um yeah um also it's also fun because like you know he's basically doing reporting but like you know he doesn't choose names these people choose for themselves right like the one after Abney 317 is the quest to beat Jimmy Poopins right (laughs) (laughs) so he has to go he's like very serious just talking about like you know these people with these stupid screen names because you know the gamer the gamer handles um dishonorable mention for this category action button we're still (laughs) he hasn't put out a video this year Um, wait no wait didn't the boku hero i thought boku was last last october i'm pretty sure it was um apparently uh i i am still i still give him money because i'm a sucker but uh he he. Apparently, he has videos lined up for. You're right. It is
1: a year ago. Wow. Yeah,
0: he's got videos lined up for uh, uh, for this year. Apparently, like they're in front of production. Apparently, he also does like some streaming stuff, which is like this. This has happened to a lot of content creators that like this. This happened to think the super bunny hop, um, uh, like people who just like stop doing as much, like. Uh, edited content and start doing more live streaming stuff. This is, like, Trin is maybe...
1: Listen, um, if Trin Immortal can come back yeah. with Beat League, right? You know, yeah. the Action Button can come back in 2024, I believe. Yeah. Even though I was really mean to Action Button on the, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Don't yeah, worry, Tim I Rogers. Mean, I know, still love you, sort of, kind it. of. He, yeah, he, I don't know. He, I mean, he chose LA Noir, and he thinks LA Noir is good, which I agree with. I love LA Noir, and I think it's a very good game. Uh, so I'm very excited for that because maybe yeah. we'll agree on something. No, I
0: mean, <laughs> he does something unique uh, that uh, I think is valuable, and I'm willing to pay money to, even if he does it slow ass in a way that I think is 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 you know, I think he should probably produce more. But you know, I am not telling him that with my dollars. So you know, um. <laughs>
1: uh, um. Yeah. Interesting. So. Uh, yeah, my, I just want to quickly say my dishonorable mention goes to fucking ContraPoints. God damn it. Also did the same thing. Technically, she did put out one video, which was very good, The Witch Trials of JK Rowling, eight months ago. Um, but she has been promising me on stupid fucking Patreon for like three or four months that, she, that the next mainline channel video is coming. And it did not come by the end of the year. Um, though I appreciate that she did have the, uh, uh, the wherewithal to cancel her. The her month, she was like, I need the financial incentive, so I'm, I'm canceling my Patreon monthly until I get this video out, which I thought was pretty good.
0: Yeah, no, that's uh, that's always uh, a good way to go about things. Like, you know, uh, like I like one of the like Dan GM who I go to for uh, uh, DMing advice. Um, he does he does like four articles a month, but he charges per article. So he's like, last month, he's like, I just o- oversight, I missed one. Um, and so you only got charged for three. Um, and he, he even said, if, you, if you're not doing that, you're just paying monthly, and you would like a quarter of your uh, subscription back, email me here. I'm happy to do that. So, you know, always, always admire people who are willing to do that. All right. Next topic. Mine is going to be, uh, 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 what's it called? Coolest Game Mechanic. And I'm going to give this to uh, uh, Assembling Nonsense in Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Um, I've talked about this before, but the way... You like the way that game really came together for me. It really captured me in a way that Breath of the Wild didn't. When you you know you can glue stuff together and it just kind of works. The magic happens. Like you get a little bit of it when you like you know put like fans on a glider and they just kind of go autonomously. But once you get the steering column and you can just put it on something, and like if it looks kind of like a car, it'll drive like a car. If you know it's uh it's like you've got like you know, fans on the back of one of those flying things, um, it'll steer, and, you know, it'll it'll just do what... It'll work the way you think it does. And um, I don't know how hard that is for... On the back end for it to work, but it is super seamless. It works exactly the way you think it would, and uh, it's a super compelling system. Um, and it allows you to do, like, such fun and funny stuff, right? Like, you know, basically, it feels like they took... The thing in Breath of the Wild where you could, like, like you know, be real janky with the physics and, like, launch yourself a thousand miles and just, like, canonize that as part of the game, right? Like, you know, who cares, you know, if, if you just fly over everything. It's just fun to do, and it's so compelling, and uh, it's it's truly a fantastic game, and I've got, uh, and that mechanic in particular uh, sold it for me. It, you know. It's a bit long-winded. It gets a little bit samey as a game, uh, and so that's what kind of kept it out of like the upper reaches of game of the year for me. And just like you know, Baldur's Gate 3 is just like too good. But th- that specific mechanic is something I haven't seen before, and hopefully uh, isn't. Uh, and hopefully we'll we'll see more of moving forward, just because like that, that stuff is super cool. And so that is that is my coolest game mechanic, uh, assembling nonsense in Zelda Tears of the Kingdom.
1: Man. This is a tough one. Man, what is my favorite? What's my coolest game mechanic of 2023? Um, oh, man. I don't know. What do I want to give it to? My... Okay. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I think my answer is going to be... Uh oh! I actually, I'm sorry. I have a great one for this. Hold on, I've i figured it out. I got a great one for this finale from the first expansion, f- Festival of Legends of Hearthstone of this year. Um, I haven't been playing Hearthstone recently. I didn't play the most recent expansion. I just kind of decided I didn't have the time for it. Um, I had other stuff competing for my time or whatever. But I'm pretty on, on Hearthstone. Uh, Hearthstone, 2023 was a pretty good year for Hearthstone. Even though they ended pretty poorly. They're shuttering a bunch of game modes that are, and stuff like that. People are really mad about it. Whatever, who cares? I'm not, I don't care about that shit, right? Finale was a mechanic that basically said, if you use all of your mana in, really, really what the mechanic says is, when you play this spell... If you're at zero mana, activate a special effect, right? Which is to say, if you have five mana and you play a five mana spell, you activate Finale. If you have three mana and you play one mana on a thing and then two mana on a Finale spell, you activate Finale, right? This kind of thing. So you can kind of like mix and match it. Finale is the core mechanic behind a warrior deck that I got really into um i ended up kind of chronicling over the course of the podcast in uh kind of the first part of the spring of this year how i created my own deck like this was not a deck that was competitive at any level um it was a deck that it was warrior was basically such a dog shit class that there were, there was really one competitive warrior deck. It was an enraged deck that was that was quite powerful. Um, but what I wanted to play was this black rock and roll deck, right? Which was about summoning just huge big guys, and you would you could do this stuff to kind of like create big guys. Um, and I created and I refined my deck along these sorts of lines. Um, I spent a ton of time on this deck um basically trying to figure out a way that it works and i did eventually climb to legend with this deck which was maybe the most satisfying climb to legend i've ever had in Hearthstone history because this is the first time i ever climbed a legend on a deck of my own creation just because kind of taking advantage of the surprise factor of i'm playing something in the metagame that other people are kind of not interested or on top of right um, that deck was so fun and interesting, and I played it for a couple of weeks. But the thing that really, the thing that really brought it together, the thing that really held it together, was finale because it put a bunch of spells in the deck, um, and the it made playing turns really interesting and, compl- and complex in a way that is totally different. From how I've played a lot of previous Hearthstone uh kind of stuff, where you're saving things for your power turns, right? Where being able to nail your finales to summon a bunch of stuff in order to get these chain reactions, all of that stuff is really great and, and really fun. And so yeah, I guess I will I guess I'll give it to that. I guess I'll give it to to Hearthstone. Good job, Hearthstone. You guys had a you guys had a pretty baller mechanic. Um, okay. This one is gonna be a simple one. I don't want to say a simple one. Uh, one that we have seen before, um, movie of the year, 2023 had a bunch of, had a bunch of movies this year. Um, it honestly probably should have been one of the best years for movies for me in a long time, but a lot of things didn't quite hit in the way that I wanted them to, um, Fast X, you know, the next, the next thing of the Fast Saga, including one of my favorite actors, Jason Momoa, it was good, I liked it, but I didn't love it, right, um, Even uh, Rebel Moon, Zack Snyder, comes out with a movie based on Seven Samurai and Star Wars, right? And it's just kind of okay, right? I like it a lot most people will probably say it's bad because it's so perfectly made for me i still had a good time with it because of course i did because it's a movie that's made for me but it's not as good as i wanted it to be okay it wasn't a sl- it wasn't a slam dunk didn't knock me out of my didn't knock me out of my seats um even an, even a movie that i was really really charitable towards and nice to last week which or 2 weeks ago which was aquaman 2 Way of the water whatever that fucking thing was called lost aquaman kingdom. the lost and the lost kingdom okay <laughs> <laughs> um which delivered so perfectly on the character of Aquaman um on my love of Jason Momoa and Patrick Wilson on you know introducing new lore to to kind of like the Aquaman universe as well as just kind of like flooding this movie with stakes and interesting stuff from Aquaman lore that only I would know about and love right but everybody else would kind of hate even Aquaman 2 didn't quite get there for me the movie that got there for me this year um which only quite got there for me on a rewatch is David Fincher's The Killer on Netflix. Um, this one, I, there, I don't even have anything complete or interesting or complicated to say about it. The real thing that that attracts me to The Killer, besides the fact that I like Michael Fassbender a lot, um, is its meticulous dedication to the craft and style of this kind of crime thriller, of which they're a, a good, fun number, Right. Um, one of the things that I loved about Better Call Saul, my favorite TV show for like six years running, right? I feel like every year I was talking about how good Better Call Saul was. Last year I must have talked about, I don't know if I actually said this, Better Call Saul was definitely the best season of television last year though. Um, That was season six, the finale season. Um, One of the things that made Better Call Saul so unendingly good is the time and precision it took with how... With the pro- with process basically right, not even with process of crime, just process in general right. How Jimmy does this stuff? How Mike does this stuff? Right. The killer is that on steroids. It is juiced to the nines. The most amazing you know kind of you know process movie um, of of 2023 and. um, And so, yeah, I just, I can't deny that I had a really, I had a really great time with it. I had a pretty, um, I don't know. It's, it is, it's probably going to be a movie that I'm going to be able to come back to a whole bunch just because it's so easy to sink into the filmmaking and the approach um, and how things happen and why they happened in the particular way that they happened. Um, And David Fincher was kind of just like the perfect guy to make this kind of movie. Um, So, yeah, movie of the year, The Killer yeah what about you
0: no uh so for me um i already talked about this uh i think again two weeks ago um but uh, for me i think it's gonna be the holdovers um uh like i really liked i liked barbie i liked uh oppenheimer um i liked a couple of the other movies we saw this year um you know uh none, none of them particularly stood out to me uh but the Holdovers just, like, really grabbed me as a very... It's a Christmas movie, right? I saw it during, kind of, like, you know, right before Christmas. Um, it's, uh, It's got this great, kind of, affected style of, like, the 70s or 80s coming-of-age movie. Um, the performances are pretty great. You know, um, some of the kids, like, in the early movie aren't, aren't great, but, like, the core actors do the job fantastically. It tells... A very heartwarming story plays out in a very classic way in a very earnest way not a lot of uh not a lot of duplicity there's a little bit of a uh, kind of like reveal in the middle but it's not like super it's not like no mind-blowing or anything right really like the, the big kind of like twist movie this year was saltburn which was a movie that i wasn't particularly fond of um even though it was neat and stylistic um but uh it was just a uh, the holdovers is, is a solid movie that um uh I can see becoming a Christmas staple for me, uh, for uh, you know the years moving forward, right? Like, um, my girlfriend and I just uh, watched um, *Violent Night* last year, um, and we really love that. Um, but you know, that's in kind of like a different vein, right? It's like a schlocky kind of uh, action movie. It, it's like some—it's like somebody took um, uh, what's uh, *Die Hard*. *Die Hard* is a Christmas movie very seriously, and like actually made that movie, right? Um, this movie is just a classic, classic kind of like coming of age story, a classic, uh, winter tale, New England winter tale. Uh, and, uh, I really, really, really loved it. And, uh, I don't know if there's much else I can say about it without, without, uh, spoiling too much, but it's a mood and I would recommend, uh, I think, I think it can work for all of winter. Um, but if you haven't, if, you know, I wouldn't watch it and say the middle of the summer, but next Christmas, uh, next holiday season, um, if you're looking for something to put you in the holiday spirits, I think uh, the holdovers will do you well. Um, so I'm going to uh, recommend uh, that. Um, all right, uh, for my next uh, my next category, hmm, let's go with something uh, something on a negative a negative vibe, and I'm going to go with. Uh, hardest fall off um and this is going to be a this is going to be something you nominated uh which is Diablo 4 um uh Diablo 4 I played pretty hard for like the first week or two that it came out but ultimately it just didn't grab me um I went back to it too for this vampire stuff right and I played around with it a little bit but I just I could not get myself in a space where something really spoke to me and I think for me a lot of this is that like none of the classes super resonated with me. Um, I think they, I appreciated what they did with the different skill-ups, but um, people criticized Diablo 3 for being a little too limited, um, and they kind of like went back towards the old style with like the points and things, but I kind of feel like the builds in Diablo 4 just aren't as uh, it's, I felt like I had better build diversity in Diablo Three, where like I could like if I really wanted to optimize for something like so this this is a thing that's peculiar to me, but we've been over this before. I love optimizing for stupid. I love finding an alternate win con or like an off an off meta build that's like viable enough for me to work with, um, and I just felt that Diablo Four didn't have enough of that. like a thing that i could do or target right diablo 3 i would whenever i wanted to just like kind of like get into the groove i would play this build called one giant rock which is like a barbarian build where like you build up your rage and you throw a rock and it does increase damage based on on uh based on how much rage you've built up um and it was very stupid but i enjoyed it i did not find anything like that in diablo 4 at least not yet and i have not felt compelled to go back to it to find it. Um, the game's smooth. The game has some neat features. But uh it's just it was maybe in a sense like wasn't fast enough for me. It felt like it took me a while to hit max level and I just like couldn't be asked to do it again in uh in this second season that's supposed to have improved things. And it did improve things, right? Like they're doing the Path of Like style style. Uh you know, oh, every season we'll introduce something new. And maybe I'll be convinced to go back into it again. But um, basically, every time I went to do something in DL4, I'd be like, I would rather pick up uh, 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 Darktide or, um, or World of Warcraft and just do a piece of Esoterica in, uh, in, in, in World of Warcraft. Um, uh, and I think in, in like a world of um, live service games, you got to kind of have to be able to beat that. And I think that's maybe the interesting thing about this is like, this year seems to kind of have been... Um, uh, the start of the death of live service games is kind of like a model um, and maybe, maybe I'll turn that into a category later down the line but my biggest fall off of this year uh, has been uh, uh, has been Diablo 4 Buddy what was your hardest fall off of the year
1: your I think my hardest fall off this year was Payday 3 mm-hmm. um, it's interesting because I talked about Payday 3 and I have positive feelings about Payday 3 right when I think of Payday 3 I think oh that was, that was pretty fun but my issue with payday three, um, is that outside of the novelty of the gameplay itself, it really shows how a poor progression design, right, in your game, torches anything that you could possibly make out of that game. Um, so, to to kind of like better explain, I guess, um, a little bit of what I what I'm thinking, where I'm coming from. If you were to tell me, Payday 3 is a group stealth game, right, where you are playing a stealth game where you need to track guards, where you need to hack cameras, where you need to, you know, do all of these d- different things, right? But it's not just about that on a, on its own, right? Like Something like Deus Ex, uh, Thief, uh, Dishonored would be good examples of that. It's multiplayer. You go in with four people who are all going to help you rob this bank together, right? Um, and... Uh, you need to coordinate, right? You need to coordinate in voice. You need to be able to talk to one another. You need to be able to say, okay, you click the key card, I will hit the vault button, right? And you open the door. I'm going to go do cameras. You guys go collect jewelry, right? Whatever, you know, kind of whatever it is. Um, the process of getting into that and, and doing a lot of that kind of gameplay was truly really great. And I had a, had a fantastic time, right? Um, with my friends and I. The problem with payday three arose when i was looking at it in the same way that i was looking at sort of dark tide right where payday three um sort of failed is where dark tide succeeded right it was part of why i you know ended up sort of falling down this well of dark tide so hard kind of right around the same time if you think about it right dark tide has really great progression systems it has a reason for me to run games over and over again right um it has a lot of interesting build diversity that I'm that I'm interested in exploring. Uh, the the ways in which it incentivizes XP gain um, for the leveling process are really fun, right? Um, which and all of those are systems where payday three really fell by the wayside, right? Um, the the progression was uh just really you know lacking you have to unlock kind of attachments to your guns and so you need to save money in order to get these attachments but you also need to you know you need to use the guns in a certain number of missions in order to unlock the level in order to get the attachments but you also don't get you just don't get blank experience for finishing a level you get experience for finishing challenges so as you use guns to get kills you get experience and the more times you do that the more you level up obviously um but unfortunately kind of all of that combines to a system where i just wasn't having a lot of like i just i just wasn't having a lot of fun with the replayability of it right um even once we were climbing in difficulties and we were getting better this is like a window into how i love to do replayable stuff right this is mythic plus right i spent this week i have filled out the box in mythic plus on four different characters this week okay that's 24 total dungeons at a minimum I have definitely done more than that number of dungeons, right? Um, Some of which are on the highest possible, you know, like gear rewarding levels, right? Doing these at 20s. Some of which are at very low levels, doing them at six, sevens, right? That kind of thing. Um, But the thing about Mythic Plus is I had the box, Right, I had these gear progression systems that I was into, getting aspect crests and using that to make high-powered crafted gear and all of the other sort of like upgrade mechanics. Paint Age just has none of that stuff, and so um, yeah, I guess I would say that is that is one of my bigger gaming disappointments. Uh, one of my bigger gaming disappointments this year.
0: No, well, that makes that makes sense. It, it, it's interesting because like I actually fell into a similar thing with Modern Warfare Three, where um it, it wasn't the progression system so much it's like they included all the weapons from last year and like that just killed my desire to play the game so much because it's like I already have my fully kitted out right so I'm not even getting anything by playing with it right like yeah. um I could play the new guns but it just like wasn't as compelling to me like that's the only time where I thought like a selling point feature which is you get to keep all your guns was a thing that like actively turned me off from the game so that's that's uh an interesting thing but it's your category pick so what is uh what is your
1: pick okay um my next category uh is about moment i guess i would call it my my favorite gaming moment of 2023 right what is the what's like the story that i want to tell about um you know about gaming in 2023 what, what, what is my most kind of like satisfying moment and this goes back to baldur's gate 3 um in Baldur's Gate three, I what we were we were playing and we had just cracked into kind of the um, underground section of the game uh, in the in the uh, in the underdark where we went to the the Dwerger slavers right. We actually went there pretty immediately and we started doing quests down there really 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 quickly. Uh, this is maybe the first week-end that the game was out, we started playing that game on Friday. Um, Rachel and I decided to sort of break off from everybody else. Maybe we played for a week and, and kind of got to this place. Uh, oh, you know what? This was during the week. Um, Rachel and I decided to break off from everybody else. We were just going to coordinate between the two of us just because planning, you know, uh, getting everybody together to play Baldur's Gate is hard. Um, and one of the big things that was really important to us about Baldur's Gate um, was... Uh, not being spoiled, right? We wanted to, we wanted to, you know, figure out everything kind of on our own sort of um, figure out anything on our own sort of terms. Um, and so we were progressing at a really fast rate through Baldur's Gate. We were doing, we were doing stuff uh, kind of faster than other than other folks were. Um, and we got to this like Dwerger, slaver section of the game, um, and we were just kind of exploring the boundaries of the map. And we found the adamantine forge, right? Um, which is a section of the game where there's a huge, huge kind of boss fight um, where you activate things. But the process of us finding that forge felt so serendipitous because all I did was I walked to the edge of a platform. I was like, "Huh, I wonder if I can jump to the other side of that lava." And I could. I jumped to you know, I jumped from one side. To, to the other and I was like oh my god and then I realized there's this whole back area and I was like oh my oh my god there's this like whole extra area that I didn't even realize was here. So we're down in the, in the adamantine forge. We're trying we can tell there's a way to do stuff and turn it on, right? Um we had picked up the molds for, you know, like weapons and stuff like that in this sort of back area and um and ended up like fighting like a lava monster. We ended up doing a ton of dumb bullshit with with uh like the lava monster and stuff kind of in this like back up- upwards uh corner and finding the raw I don't I don't know know if it's adamantine or it's mithril it's something right you're just finding the raw stuff and taking it and using it in the in the forge um but the boss fight of activating the forge summoning this guy playing out the boss fight right figuring out the boss's mechanics and killing him and then using the adamantine forge in order to you know in order to do a thing it was just like and we did all of this at, like, 1 in the morning because we discovered this at, like, 11 p.m. at night, and we just kind of, like, went down this rabbit hole. It's probably some of, like, the best gaming memories I have um, from 2023, and so that, that just, like, moment in and of itself is, I don't know, it's a huge, huge highlight, I feel like, that I want to make. So, yeah, best gaming moment of
0: 2023. Huh, that's an uh, interesting thing to think about. What was my favorite gaming moment? of 2023 i don't even like oh you know what i've got a have got one this is this i think you might have even been here for this there were a couple of times when we were playing the finals um that like you know just the opportunity arises to like use the sledgehammer and like break the bottom out from uh under people right or like uh just kind of like Use the destruct environment destruction in a way that like people are inspecting, and I love that every time um, I don't think I've got like a very specific moment, but I'm thinking of actually I do because there was one moment where we were i think someone was trying to steal the uh someone was trying to steal the, the 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 so for people that don't know the way the way that the game works is you throw coin boxes into um uh uh, these depositories and then it's like a minute for the deposit to complete and people can try and steal them. And someone was trying to steal our uh uh our box um and uh I was beneath them and I just looked up and I slammed the the floor and the box fell down and it kept kept the other person from being able to steal they had to jump down and fight us and I think we ended up winning that fight. I don't know if you we were specifically there for that. Um but there are a bunch of these moments in this game. One that like didn't go in my favor, but was fucking hilarious, was um, there was like like put, when you put down a spring pad and you just couldn't like touch the fucking box and yeah, like, <laughs> just, <laughs> just bounce it like the the creativity in that game is great, but like the the creative application of terrain, terrain destruction to me um, is a real highlight of uh, of of that game. A real highlight of uh, of a moment for me because it's like one of those things where, like you feel really clever you end up getting a competitive advantage and you end up, uh, winning, or, you know, at least getting winning, winning the, the interaction off of that. Um, and those types of things are, uh, the kind of things I, uh, I really like, like it it kind of gets into my like love of alternate win conditions, right? Instead of like killing them to win it, I just like change the situation in a different way that they weren't expecting and let us, uh, let us win the fight. And, uh, that really resonated with me and that was probably, that was my definitely my favorite aspect of, uh, of uh of this uh of of that game and of this of this uh uh of this year was 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 that in uh in the finals um yeah so that's what i'm gonna that's what i'm gonna say i will remind okay. the chat that if you have suggestions for topics you can put them in and uh, or awards, and we will take them under consideration that's
1: true yeah it has been an hour if you want to put anything in the chat you know we can listen we can answer it live on stream okay yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Uh, this is this is the internet we can do whatever we want um i am going to for my next topic say that uh uh my uh, the topic i'm going to say and this is very simple very on brands we play a lot of well my favorite raid fight of the year um by my accounts you've got two raids to go through true um, yeah um, and uh i had to look this up because i don't know the name of anything in the game but uh my favorite raid fight, I think, of the year was uh, Tindril Sage Swift, which is the second-to-last boss in a Dursil. Obviously, we haven't um, gotten it uh, on Heroic yet, or if, if you guys did in the last week, I wasn't there for it. Um, but uh, just the... Um, and this is maybe just only because you get on your dragon and you fly around during the fight. Um, and uh, I, it's a very it's an important feature of the game that Blizzard put into the expansion, and getting it in is uh, great. On top of that, um, it's one of the games that, or it's one of the fights that felt like um, there's just, like, there's a lot going on, and there's a lot of, of fun to be had with it. Um, I, Firak was, was pretty close on this, too, uh, just because he has a lot of stuff going on with him, and it feels like there's a lot of expression, uh, a lot of opportunity for expression of mastery there. But uh, I think Tindril uh, uh, edges it out because it's just, like, there's... Uh, you know, there's a nice rhythm to it, right, like, you, you fight, you fight the beginning part of the fight, um, you get him, you get him down, he flies away, you have to, like, dodge, these like, big explosions, you have to, uh, uh, keep yourself on the platform, and then you pick up your feather, and you fly all the way to the next platform, and then you land, and, uh, you have to, like, put out a bunch of damage, right, it's, like, literally, go crazy, go as crazy as you can, because you gotta break this shield, right, um, and that just, uh, really resonated with me, um, and uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Buddy, what, what is your favorite uh, raid fight of the year?
1: I have a double-pronged approach to my favorite raid fight, which is um, Agira the Cruel, um, who is the second boss in a Myrdrasil. Man, where is her, like, raid... Like loot table. What is your what is your loot table? Um, I like Agira for two for for two reasons. Um, I'll, I'll just say the gameplay reason first because it's it's just it's fun. Um, here's <clears throat> what uh, really appeals to me um, about um, Agira from from a fight perspective. Agira has has this level of strategic choice to it where she's a blacksmith and as you fight her, she is going to upgrade her weapon with different weapons. Um uh, during the fight, she will take a big she will get a big axe she will get a sword maybe, and then she'll get two daggers. I don't remember what the other one is and then she just normally has her blacksmithing hammer that she's using to kind of like beat you um and there's this moment that's really interesting and fun um for uh um god man, where the fuck are? Accessories, okay, that's what we want. Um, And there's this moment that's that's very fun and interesting where you get to choose which of the mechanics we see first, right? Um, Are we going to do the daggers, which is a healer mechanic? Are we going to do this, you know, jump thing where you have to kind of position the boss? Are we going to do a big tank soak, which is very melee friendly, right? Like that kind of stuff. And I just like that level of sort of strategizing around a fight. Uh, But the thing that really makes Agira work for me is the... The way in which all of those things kind of um, coalesced to make my play super fun, the healer for the for the healer mechanic, I I I'm I'm playing healer, you know, for for at least this far into the patch, um, and being able to just like drop a bunch of cooldowns and just absolutely thrash the healing meters to hit as many people as I possibly can with just huge, huge numbers is so satisfying. Just like on a like raw, simple kind of mechanical level. Uh, but the thing that I actually like most about Igira is, uh, her sort of place in the overall story of Dragonflame. Um, and kind of just like the moment, you know, just like the the moment where you get to kind of meet this bad guy who has been both prophesized and sort of, like, set up as a villain. Um, so, for instance, Igira shows in in the first patch of Shadowlands, we learn about the Jardin. Um, you know, there are these dragon-killing giants. They inscribe molten runes on themselves in order to make them, you know, more powerful dragon killers because that's their, their whole society is built around. They hunt and kill dragons right um obviously in a in a you know in a in a wow expansion where we are fighting to save dragon kind they are not doing so great they're not super welcome to us basically um <clears throat> in 10.1 we find these suffusion camps which is there is an enclave of um there's an enclave of Jardin who are looking for one of their lost elders. That elder turns out to be Rashak. He is powering, you know, Naltharian's forge in Aberyst the, um, you know, in Aberyst the second sort of raid. But as we learn, there are four total. Elders, one of which who was stolen, two of which who were dormant until they had just been awoken. These are the the elder raid bosses, or I'm sorry, world bosses. And then in the final of which is Igira, who works with Farak in order to work on his like suffusion camps. And as you go do stuff with like the suffusion camps, she is the one who is who is like speaking to you. Then in the story questing in in 10.2, she is the one who helps him and the druids of the flame build Feralath, the Dream Render, which allows him to enter the emerald dream this crazy legendary axe Um, and you know you you end up fighting her and talking about her and all of this like story sort of quest and then you you end up you show up and you fight her and there is one particular piece of gear that drops off her that I just love how poignant it is to the to the lore of wow this is called signet of the last elder um and it has the flavor text having endlessly stoked the fires of their hatred igira led the jardin only to ruin which i just find like incredibly ah ah Just like good wow lore story moment, the synthesis of a of a raid boss that has character and verve and flavor, right? Um, but also has these interesting kind of mechanics that underwrite everything. So yeah, I think I wanna say I think I wanna say Angelo the Cruel.
0: Nice. Nice.
1: Okay. Um I guess I want to create a category I don't quite know uh, what, what this category is gonna be but I do want I want I want to sort of create this category your favorite multiplayer moment right of um, of 2023 right when you and your friends are all playing together and doing and doing a thing uh, like a big group accomplishment what is that what does this sort of um, feel like I guess yeah so my favorite I would say best multiplayer. Um, multiplayer moment uh the the thing that i want to give this shout out to is for wild classic season of discovery which is the very tail end of this year on in november i think um the process of going through in season of discovery with a bunch of your friends and doing and questing together and everybody's tracking this stuff and it's just like oh well where are you at in the quest but Specifically on finding the new sort of secrets and runes that have been added to the game by solving these little kinds of gamer puzzles is incredibly satisfying. Um the the feeling of elation that I got when we were all hanging out in chat and I had picked up um I had picked up a weapon that let me steal the soul of a Murloc and I didn't know what to do with it, and I couldn't figure it out. I was like, what? What, like, what, do I, what do I do with this, right? Um, and we're questing. We're just running around. And then Lou in the chat screams my name in all caps, basically. And it's like, come here, come here. And she finds this altar in, on the, like, the sword. And I take this murloc soul and I apply it to the altar. And it summons a big, powerful rare that we all work together to kill that rewards me with a, with a rune. Right. Um, This happened later down the line. We were doing other we were doing other quests in Duskwood um, where I just happened to see a um, I just happened to see like an urn in the wall. And uh, and Rachel was there and she was like, what like, what is that? Can you interact with that? I was like, yes, I can. And I went to the I went to the urn and I picked it up. Um, I went to the urn, I picked it up, um, and then we later went and found that, oh, here's a place where you can put the urn that'll summon, uh, like, a lich, and killing the lich is going to give you the, you know, like, the rare. Like, that was super satisfying. Um, we had this whole thing with with um, Dragon Slayer stuff. We decided to go on a trek okay, because we're playing Alliance, Fan Keep is in Silver Pine Forest, which was very, very far from Alliance Lands. We decided to go to this whole trek across the continent where we went to Fan Keep, and in the back behind one of the bosses in Fan Keep, there was this Dragon Slayer Helm that only I could click on. I was like, oh, what is this? This is so cool. I went and I picked up the Dragon Slayer Helm, um, and then I was just like, where could we find more of this stuff? And everybody was sitting there, we were all talking about it together, we were brainstorming somebody, and, um, uh, we eventually found the next one in a rare elite section, or I'm sorry, in an in a elite section of Red Ridge, where, you know, you have to be high level, basically, in order to, like, complete these quests. We go into this elite mob area, um, and in the very back of it, there's the Dragon Slayer's Shield. And I was like, oh, my God. This is amazing. This is so cool, right? Um, and we eventually found the dragon slayer's lance just on happenstance by killing a bunch of guys who are way, way, way higher level than us. Um, and I was only really able to solve these mysteries and and get to the bottom of these secrets because we were all playing as this big group together. We were we were all kind of like having fun as a team, as a as a kind of um, as a kind of group. And I feel like uh, you know that kind of moment, that multiplayer moment, is the is something that I wanna I wanna highlight in um in you know i don't know my gameplay of 2023
0: so yeah yeah no that's uh that's that that's that sounds super fun um i would talk about something uh significantly uh more stupid um but that was probably my favorite kind of cooperative moment because you know we do a lot of raiding and i love raiding and that's always fun but like and it's always satisfying but it still feels kind of like it doesn't have the same kind of like pizzazz, uh, but something that I had a ton of fun, even though it was only a short experience, is uh, you got me to pick up and play this game called Foxhole, um, and <laughs> we uh, and so you know we we jump in we start exploring we fight over this bridge for like a good like two hours maybe and we don't you know it goes nowhere and this this is to me the thing that kind of like. Makes me feel less interested in the game. It's like, okay, I guess we just kind of, like, fight over points for, like, days on end. Which is, like, a nice, realistic kind of, like, you know, understanding of what, like, kind of war is. Like, it's hell, right? Like, you know, it's, like, fought by inches. Um, uh, and then you and I were, like, when we are going to do this, like, you know, let's just, like, go see what else is out there, right? So we, we steal a supply truck, and we go to the north, and we start exploring this town. It's like, oh, man, there's this giant you know port and like while we're standing there this this boat just comes in and this dude just like unloads a bunch of materials because he's doing his part for the war and you know (laughs) we we derp around for a while and we figure out you know i think you built this like tank um
1: yeah there was a tank at the seaport and
0: uh and i pulled it out
1: of storage
0: (laughs) and i figured out how to like put some gas in that tank and just from like you know it's like oh you need to drive it over here near the (laughs) one that's full and we just decide to go joy riding around this tank we go back to the front and there you know and then you go and you get some ammo and they decide that no we don't really need a tank here it's not going to be helpful to our so like you know what fine fuck it and we just drive south and we keep (laughs) spinning along the road and it's like oh, we hit the edge of a hex, we can go to the next hex, it's enemy territory. I don't know who's guarding it, let's see. And we go to the next hex, and we're, like, zooming along, it's like, this is the enemy base, I don't see anybody here, I wonder what we can do. And we, like, hit this point, and the, like, seven different, presumably automated guns just start firing. And within, like, five seconds, we explode, and we're like, you know what, that's good for the night. But that was just, like, such a perfect moment. Driving into the enemy base, being, like, you know, you know with a rebel yell kind of like in my head is like yeah we're gonna do this right like you know we're gonna like take down some people and we just immediately blow up and you know what that is one of the top kind the top multiplayer moments of my year um not as satisfying as a good finals win not as satisfying as taking down uh you know a heroic boss in raid but uh much more individually memorable nonetheless so that is going to be that memorable.
1: definitely yeah that definitely was we should get back to Foxhall. i want to do a Foxhall episode i really do because like i don't know i feel like there i i feel like it's we're on the cusp of it we're on the cusp of yeah. having that game be like fucking awesome <laughs> yeah,
0: i i feel like it's one of those things where it's like i don't have enough life to like devote to it to like really make it work Um, which is kind of yeah maybe if this
1: came out when like we were in college and we could dedicate our lives to something stupid like this um i could i could see it just like take over like a whole dorm you know right yeah right (laughs)
0: like your freshman year right like i don't know like you didn't we didn't really hang out freshman year but i don't know if you ever saw but like uh, this is like one of the most harrowing experiences of my life is we would play original dota we would get mad at each other in Dota. We'd walk out into the hall and scream at each other for 20 minutes about how we <laughs> fucked up, about how you fucked up, and that's why we lost individual Dota or in Dota. And then we would go back to our rooms and play another game of Dota, and we would do that rinse and repeat for like you know hours on end.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely.
0: Having something like this to do that in would be would have been probably a lot more productive and a lot more fun. Um, and so I'm sad that I this not it's not hit me at a point in my life where I can afford to dedicate that amount of time to it but um something uh, uh, a category i want to nominate um is uh best gaming trend of the year and for this i'm going to say i referenced this a little bit earlier is the swing away from live service games and the swing towards um really kind of uh uh i won't quite say like single player experiences but like curated kind of like one and done complete experiences in gaming um we've seen a bunch of failures we've seen some closures bungie seems to be imploding on itself um as destiny kind of like stops being the thing they want it to be um and it stops being kind of like the big money maker uh diablo 4 like we said well was fun and successful like you gave it props for its kind of like story experience which is not the typical reason you go to this game for but it's like for that 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 kind of like um games game experience um and i know it, it seems to me like it, it doesn't ha- it hasn't had the staying power uh that you ideally would have wanted out of the game um there are yeah
1: of- i mean it having a good story is like the opposite of live service right yeah. you know there are games having a good story is kind of almost antithetical to live service right
0: yeah or i mean it can be integrated. like you know this is a thing that we talk about right like destiny has very interesting lore um part of the failure of the last expansion of this year's expansion is that it didn't really capture a lot of people didn't go in a lot of ways that people want people liked um something we talk about with wow the thing that like the thing the thing that excited everybody this year about wow is chris metzen coming back and like Talking about, like, you know, the next three expansions worth of story content, right? Um, that's the thing that got everybody, right? The biggest game of the year is Baldur's Gate 3. Not just from us, but from, like, everybody uh, is Baldur's Gate 3 with its focus on story and characters and, like, a really well-crafted experience. Um, and one of the big, big late hits of the year is is the Owlcat uh, Warhammer game, right? Which is another CRPG single kind of like focused experience uh you know tears of the kingdom uh there's probably a couple other ones uh, phantom liberty um which i haven't fully played yet but like critical acclaim cyberpunk is finally good right you know well-designed experiences are back um and i think this is a good trend i am excited for what is coming dragon's dogma comes out um uh early this year i think that continues the trend um uh i don't know if there's there's nothing else quite on my radar for this year this year was such like a a big year in terms of games but i don't know what else um is uh is on the radar for this year maybe i'll look that up and that'll be another topic if we got enough time but my big trend for the year is the swing away from uh, my favorite trend of the year swing away from live service swing towards uh folks experiences buddy do you have a favorite trend of the year
1: I think my favorite turn of the year overall is the state of indie games in 2023. Obviously, I care a lot about indie games. My, you know, professional passion is is indie games, and I'm intimately tied. I guess I would say, um, intimately tied into uh, sort of the 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 market and everything that surrounds how indie games work. I have been incredibly bullish on indie games for the longest time. I think it's one of the healthiest and best things about the video game industry as a whole, and it only continues to kind of increase and get and get better over time right um this is something that we saw sort of in the back half of the 2010s the coalescence of sort of indie specific publishers places like devolver right um but also other big name you know uh indie games publishers right annapurna has a pretty good reputation team 17 has published a bunch of stuff um uh, you know, Humble Games is, is doing indie game, um, game publishing, as well as a number of, like, my personal and professional acquaintances, you know, like Raw Fury or those awesome guys or just even Aquapara, right? The, the company that I personally work for, right? Um, I think that indies have been growing and growing mostly because of a swelling of talent in the field that needs a place to go. If you something that happened in let me let me back up a second in, in like a history way something that happened in the '60s is that kids who grew up loving film and went to nascent film schools were getting out and making movies with a totally different approach to the ways that movies had been made for the preceding fifty years, basically, right? Um, this is sort of one of the golden ages of Hollywood. The late, the, it's called the New Hollywood Era, um, the, the late 60s, kind of early 70s, when huge names that we would think of as some of the best directors ever, like Steven Spielberg or Martin Scorsese or other folks like that, um, would kind of like come to the fore uh, in, during this time. I feel like a very, very similar thing has been happening for the last couple of years in gaming, and 2023 is just a continuation of the trend. I don't even want to say it's the apex because the apex sort of implies that there is going to be a letdown when I don't think there's going to be one, right? I think that indie games have exploded and probably will continue to explode because there is only, you know, there's so much possibility and demand um for for unique and interesting gaming experiences um and the kinds of folks who are taking the time to make indies both on the top end which is to say um the folks who are making indies who are coming out of years and years of sort of corporate triple a to make their own indie experiences something like Palia might be a good example of this this is like x ex- riot people uh, who went and made their indie game company um, and they've they're now making uh this sort of um i don't know i guess i would say kind of cozy farm simulator sort of game right um there's a lot of opportunities at that end and there's a lot of opportunities at the bottom end a group of kids who all come out of school, they are hungry for more, they have just spent four years on a computer science/slash game design degree, and now they're making their first, you know, like indie project with some new interesting mechanics, something like Estrella, right? Um, that is just like, oh, I have a great idea for how to make this kind of game. Let me let me put that into 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 kind of action. Um, so yeah, that's the thing I'm just I am um, I'm always going to. I, I'm always going to. I feel like be bullish on indies as as long as there is not something catastrophic that happens. I guess uh, that just kind of implodes everything, right? Like maybe I don't even know what it could possibly be. Like Steam shuts off self publishing, maybe like that. Like I don't know. It would be it would be hard for me to see a world in which indies um, in the gaming sphere are not. Uh, are not something I'm feeling good about.
0: Interesting. No, the, I saw something today, and I, I do not know enough of the details about it to, like, speak authoritatively on it. Someone pointed out that we've sort of changed the tax code that, like, software engineer salaries for certain types... And I, I, I would have to imagine it doesn't apply to gaming since it's very kind of um, uh, in the... Uh, it's, it's on the forefront. But, like, you could... For certain types of industries, you can't deduct software engineer salaries... 100 percent on the year you have to deduct it 10 percent over like 10 years um which like front loads a lot of the cost for smaller companies and so that was flagged as a thing that could potentially uh cause problems with like small startups um which you know a lot of indie devs basically are i also don't know like um, indie games i get the impression that a lot of smaller like the, especially the tiny studios are like you know shoestring enough that, that probably doesn't make a huge difference to a lot to it to them in the first place but it might hit like small level publishers um but again i'm pretty sure that that's not for like like software individual companies i think it might be for like D inside of like uh, other companies so um, but that's like the o- that, that is the only thing that i could see happening right it's like some amount of like weird regulatory thing that has like an unintended consequences that causes uh issues in the space but um but yeah no i agree with you i i you know let a thousand flowers bloom right like you know um, (laughs) yeah you know even with unity being kind of on the outs uh in the zeitgeist right like you know there's godot there's unreal um you know um and even even if steam like you know went the way of the dodo there's itch there's you know everybody loves to like trash and eat epic game store but it's like you know it's functional um yeah, you know, good old This games. is, I
1: think, honestly, the thing that, like, the way that Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo prioritize, right? Nintendo obviously has the Indie World Showcases, right? Uh, Microsoft and Sony will also kind of, like, prioritize indies on their platforms. Um, you have stuff like Twitch Prime, who are giving away free indie games every all the time. Epic, you know, giving away uh, free indie titles. All of that stuff, I think, is, uh, you know, it's great. It's truly, it that like, that, that's the stuff I think that feels good. Um, the one, I guess, I don't know. The danger is that, well, I don't know. Th- this is, I, this is best. There we go. That's my, <laughs> that's oof, my, oof. uh, best gaming, you gaming getting a spicy trend.
0: take about, uh...
1: Yeah, the one that, okay, so I will, just to complete this thought. The one thing that is... I guess you'd call it worrying. Is the investor pullout in gaming that has happened over the course of twenty twenty three This is something that's been managed kind of on like the business end of things, right? Uh, Basically, in the COVID years, gaming surged because COVID and people were looking for essentially third places, and so they invest, and so people started investing their time in big multiplayer games, right? Stuff like GTA five, World of Warcraft, whatever, right? All these different, all of these different sort of. gaming gaming platforms, right? Um, this followed with a surge of sort of investor funding, VC funding, um, that went into small studios, um, some of which have probably panned out, some of which that have haven't. But as investors have gotten a little scared of gaming, as things have kind of opened back up and people are going outside and spending less time playing games, um, the amount of investor money uh, that is sort of sloshing around the games industry is less than it was before. I mean, um, so,
0: just as like a broader trend, that's all. That's not just ga- like you know. I'm sure that the, the gaming specific factors make it even worse. But like, the cost of money is higher, right? With interest rates being yes. you know, high yep. by the Fed all year, um, the cost of investment is uh, a lot. It's, it's hard. It is harder to. The like I said, the cost of money is higher, right? Like just even in kind of like the very simplest terms of like you know anything you want to do on margin margin and borrow money is going to come with a higher rate and because of that people are going to be more conservative of how they spend their money and going to want to sure bet um on things back when like you know back right before the pandemic started um you know interest rates were like at all time lows and so the cost of borrowing money to to use it on things to for investments was was a lot cheaper and that has affected uh, investment uh pretty widely and like you said the 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 you know As somebody in tech, it affected all of tech, right? Yeah. Um, But it would not surprise me if games were particularly hard hit, given that, like, you know... People, people
1: yeah still they, there's Google, just uh, right like you know yeah there there are a lot of uh there are a lot of indie game studios that have cropped up and they were essentially driven by investor funding those investors get cold feet they pull out funding and leave folks out of work so that yeah. is not that is not great uh that's something that affected the whole industry not just indies but you know there is a piece of that um that is not that that's not you know i don't know not yeah, the best no, i mean i uh, mean
0: In the Indies camp, there is at least, like, there's still, like, the kind of, like, model of, like, guys doing it in their spare time for fun that, like, is resilient to, like, investor money pull out because they don't have any investor money in the first place um, but yeah <laughs> uh,
1: no that's that's precisely true uh one of the things we see in the indie games publisher space is that there are certain publishers who are driven by investor money and they have had to wildly change their sorts of business models over the course of 2023 because you know that money isn't isn't accessible yeah. anymore but if you run your studio just off of raw profitability right we make games we publish games they sell for money we make margins on all of that stuff that's what dri- that's what drives and fuels our company kind of thing you're pretty safe and Isn't fine it, when it comes to all of this stuff. i
0: remember like tiny build maybe had like a big controversy where like they were like you know basically ponzi scheming like, ponzi schemes maybe too strong but like you know selling their like you know like relying on like future sales or something to like Pay their last their last gig, and you know when if if this is something you can't talk about <laughs> I don't want to comment on
1: any. Really, what I want to say is I don't want to comment on anybody specifically. Okay. okay, there are a lot of scummy publishers out there who will do rough things, uh, to, to folks, uh, you know, if there are, I, I doubt there are, if there are any, any game developers who are listening to this podcast, you know, make sure you, you really dot your I's and cross your T's before you sign with a publisher. Um, not that there are publishers who are looking to rip you off there. Are, it's not like I would qualify any of these as scams, but there are publishers who have business practices that can be ruthless and brutal because there are more developers looking for funding than there are um, publishers to give funding to qualified indie games. Um, So (laughs) that kind of business practice, right, where you are, um, you know, sort of... uh,
0: Famously, uh, Obsidian lost out on their big bonus because they missed a Metacritic score by a point, right? Yeah. Um, And more recently, um, outside of indies again is... Uh, I forget what the name of the company was, but I think it was the company that bought THQ Nordic, or at least the rights to, like, a lot of their properties. Embracer. Embracer Group. Is this the Embracer Group? Yeah, Yeah, they
1: collapsed, basically.
0: Yeah, because the the, the rumors are that they were looking to sell themselves to, like, another, like, you know, acquire a bunch of IP, maybe put out something, and, like, pitch themselves to somebody else, and all that money is kind of gone, right? Like, the there we are in a period of consolidation the bigger part, pieces just because like that that's like you know this is why Microsoft but by Blizzard um in in periods like this where like investor money is tough like the established players tend to gabble, gobble up some of the smaller players this is kind of like the historical trend um uh but like if you're not pitching your if you're not at that level right like the, like like we said the money's not quite there
1: but Okay, I'd wanna, I want to I want to give one final Go for sort of derpy. This is less of a derpy, but I, I think it's just a wrap up question. Something I've seen a lot of talk about over the course of 2023 is this question of is it a good year for games? Right? Jeff Keighley said it's a great year for games. Right? Um, if you look at game dev hashtags on Twitter, people would say it is an awful year for 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 sort of games. What is your What is your Where where is your litmus test for is 2023 a good year for games?
0: So. In, I have not heard any... I have not seen the kind of, like, it's an awful year for... for
1: The case, if I were to, like, steal man the case, the case for 2023 has been a bad year for games is really all this trouble at the top end of, I would say, AAA spaces. Huge layoffs. 7,000 game developers have lost their jobs in layoffs over the course of the year. The implosion of... Um, the implosion of... um. Embracer Group is a is a big piece of this, right? Um, as well as just layoffs that have hit a number of different sure. companies, kind of all across the board, right? Um, you know, it, Epic had big layoffs. Um, you know, funnily enough, Activision didn't have these because of the Microsoft deal, uh, but just like tons Bungie. of other studio, Bungie, you know, which we were which we were obviously kind of talking about. Even some quieter sort of um, like layoffs and, and consolidation and stuff, kind of like falling by by the wayside all of that kind of does um i don't know has been included in
0: hasbro which is like not exactly video gaming but like adjacent um yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, the stuff with versus evil and tiny build. This is the tiny build controversy from the end of the year. Tiny build uh, had acquired a couple of other sort of small indie games publishers, and they liquidated those publishers at the end of the at the end of the year. Uh, the one that people like the most is called versus evil, um, but they actually did this to a number of different kind of publishers on their on their sorts of labels. Uh, that's on the low end. That's on like the indie end. Um, but so this would be the argument for twenty twenty three has not been a very good year in games. So.
0: I'm going to take um, the controversial position that um, games industry is not games. And as a result, this has been an excellent and an amazing year for games. Um, There have been so many bangers that have come out, um, some of the best stuff in a long time, all across the spectrum. Um, The game industry stuff sucks, and it might mean that the next couple of years are worse years for games, but the year for games and for gamers at large has been great. Um, and there's only, you know, i well, we should be concerned as consumers about kind of like the larger industry gens. Um, we're getting a great product right now and we should enjoy it while uh, while we have it. Um, you know, I have, you know, there have been a few games that have like really caught me this year in ways that like just haven't happened before. Like I said, Baldur's Gate, amazing. Street Fighter, fantastic. Um, and, uh, you know, and it was so jam-packed that also I think next year, I think next year is going to pale in comparison just because like there's not uh you're just like not a lot that can happen right like there were there were games that came out this year that were excellent that i didn't have time to play that we didn't even think about right all the way is supposed to be amazing um other there are like uh like apparently like the final fantasy 14 content has been great too um uh you know stuff like that um that i haven't and probably will never get around to playing uh but you know uh uh, it's. I think it's been a, a fantastic year for games, and, uh, you know, uh, yeah, that, that's my opinion. Buddy, what, what, what are your thoughts? That's
1: pretty fair. I actually, I was going to take the bearish position, um, but I think <laughs> I like the split, um, and I do think it's true. The thing I was thinking about is this is a year of payoffs. Right, of long standing stuff that has that I've expected to happen, having happened, right? Uh, so for instance, kind of the like Activision driving Call of Duty into the ground happened this year, right? The famously, you know, Modern Warfare had a, just like a dog shit campaign or whatever, like a three hour campaign. Everybody was like mad about it. Uh, people have said Warzone is garbage this year. Um, I don't track any of this stuff, I'm just, just like based on surface level right Right. um stuff with destiny all this other sort of like stuff um in terms of just like raw content but the big payoffs i see this year Baldur's gate is a big payoff right we knew about Baldur's gate a couple of years ago obviously it's been in early access Um, for three years exactly it's been in early access for three years we learned about it during the divinity um you know the the divinity original sin sort of stuff right um that that came it, it came to its culmination this year feels great um i would even say that certain um uh you know but diablo 3 is a great example of this right you know diablo 3 was a 2019 blizzcon announcement i want to say um where you know it was it was announced as this thing it's happening it's coming it's right around the corner it's out right um it's out it makes a billion dollars right you know which is like really kind of insane yeah. to, to sort of you know th- put in in real market you know, kind of terms right um, to have to have a video game that it just felt like every, for for a month or two everyone was playing Diablo 4. It really sort of felt like um, I feel like those sorts of payoffs are are huge things, but I don't see the same sorts of payoffs coming in 2024. Right. Um, it doesn't feel like 2024 is going to be this massive, gargantuan, gigantic year in, in games in the same way that 2023 kind of ended up um, kind of ended up being I could be wrong about that obviously war within is the new wow expansions coming out uh it has a lot of features that we're all excited about maybe this is sort of the the apex of the wow renaissance um that has kind of happened over the last two years um you know there's uh i don't know what are the, like what are the other big titles in 2024 even do you can can you think of any uh, off the top of your head? Tekken Eight, Silk Song is the one that I care about because well, six, it's indie, Silk Song. Right? but I'm trying to think Silk of big Song stuff.
0: If it comes out in 2024, maybe. Oh
1: right? I my! Mean, I mean, come on! It's got to come out in 2024, That's right? That's what I <laughs> said last year or the year before,
0: buddy. <laughs> you know um, what?
1: True. <laughs> true, 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 true. Um, so the, um, the
0: big one, Dragon's Dogma: Dark Arisen, um Tekken Eight. Um, there's the Final Fantasy
1: Rebirth is, is yeah, coming. Yes, Rebirth.
0: Uh, the Yaku- the new Yakuza. Um, that's like uh, it's like the sequel to like the RPG one, I think. Um, there's a couple other Yeah,
1: like when I put put in twenty twenty four in games, right? We have Final Fantasy seven, second one okay that's yeah. pretty big that's pretty you know big right um you know there's a new yakuza game coming out um but it's like what i think it's like suicide squad killed the justice league very troubled production on this one they pushed into the into 2024 uh skull and bones which i think has been seven years in development hell basically yeah, is finally like, finally coming out people who um, got hands from... on it
0: do not have good things to say about it like, like the, the, so the thing i have heard and i don't know how true this is is that like basically they got a bunch of subs ubisoft got a bunch of subsidies from singapore and this has basically been a scam of a game and they got in a lot of trouble because apparently they would like send high-level managers uh to singapore basically on vacation um, and they never promoted anybody from like the singapore office right like none of the, the natives which is like part of the reason why you give a bunch of subsidies to ubisoft so it might be a shit show uh so you know uh, i am okay not hyped for that game
1: uh, yeah uh star wars outlaws which i am Kind of excited for it yeah. to be honest with you. This is the Ubisoft Star Wars game um, that is <laughs> taking place in the. Do you want to guess what? What is everyone's favorite time period? What you know, in it the it rebellion, rebellion era. Rebellion, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it's a Ubisoft exploration game during, taking place during. I think it's like Empire Strikes Back, basically. Um, so it's just like all of this. All of this stuff is the stuff that's that's coming in. Uh, um, in 2024 it doesn't feel like there are these kind of like big huge hallmark games spider-man 2 right um would be a good example of something in in 2023 tears of the kingdom obviously in 2023 would be you know like a huge kind of temple release
0: um so the name of the 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 yakuza game is like a dragon infinite wealth uh okay for, for completeness but yeah like um, I was looking at a list too, and a lot of a lot of things were like remakes and relaunches, right? Um, um, but you know, the, I think this thing naturally kind of comes in cycles, right? Like every year can't be a banger because games are multi-year projects, typically, right? The best games this year will probably be indie games, right? Things that are like under the radar and will announce and launch in the same year. Um, yep. Which is you know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: you know yeah that's true uh then indies are probably looking pretty great uh hades 2 is supposed to release sure. in 2024 uh which is a big one obviously silk song which like i said i'm expecting silk song in 2024 god come on are they really are they really gonna make this it will make us wait another another year for it um you know turnip boy is in january it's next week two weeks from now um uh, listen grime on on the nintendo switch (laughs) this is what 2024 looks like in in video games
0: yeah um yeah is there uh uh you know what i i I lost my thought let's let's end it there we've been an hour and 50 minutes uh if you want to email us about any of the things you talk, we talked about on this podcast, you can email us at gmail.com or podcast at You can follow us twitch.tv slash Um uh, Write Rate review us on iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. Um, all the links are down in the description. Buddy, do you have anything else that you are looking to promote?
1: I do just want to say, for the record, Crime is coming to the Nintendo Switch finally after two years uh, on January 25th, 2023. Is- um, this includes new content. Uh, includes a Path of Pain style sort of endgame area. Path of Pain being a, a Hollow Knight. Um... Sort of feature. Uh, this is the final content update that is coming to Grime because Grime Two is in production. Um, so yeah, I'm excited for folks to I'm excited for folks to get down and play.
0: And that 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 uh that content's free. I'll say is coming to the PC version as well. Correct.
1: Correct.
0: All right. Well, uh, with that, I'm going to say until next time, Joe'sness. Nice.
1: Until next time, loyal listeners.